Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. So we continue our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of Exodus. We'll be looking this morning at Exodus 20 verses 18 through 21. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, our passage is found on page 61 in the Pew Bibles that are in the pew rack in front of you. God has given the Ten Commandments. We have seen over the last, actually, a few months with the Advent interruption of the, of the commandments. Uh, we have also uh, seen the, uh, and, and here uh, we see in today's scripture, the people's reaction to God's awesome presence and his mighty voice. God has laid out his commandments, but the people are fearful uh, as a result of this. And so let's look at this passage together, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 18. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he write its truth on all of our hearts this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed reveal yourself to your people and how we thank you that you are a God who is an awesome and holy God, loving, and just and good, but a God who is to be feared. We ask, O God, that you would teach us, O God, to fear you as you ought to be feared. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Begin this morning by asking you a question, and that is, what do you fear? What do you fear? Many of us have phobias. I, when you look online, you can see many phobias are listed, hundreds and hundreds. I, I, I checked. Many, many phobias are out there. They're the standard ones, the fear of heights, which is really kind of one of mine, germophobia, fly, fear of flying, fear of dying, etc., etc. There are various kinds of fears. I also find some interesting ones. Ebuliophobia, it's the fear of bubbles. <laughs> Who knew? Ergophobia, the fear of work. It's a good excuse to tell your boss. <laughs> and here was an interesting one, even ecclesiophobia, fear of church. So, um, I guess many people do have that. The fear the Bible tells us to have 
And the fear that we want to have in line with Scripture, and we must have according to Scripture, is the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. And we see this over and over again many, many times in Scripture. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever, rest, whoever has it rests satisfied or contented. The fear of the Lord, whoever has it, rests satisfied. Psalm 34, verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. And Ecclesiastes 12.13, this famous statement, the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. An especially interesting statement about the fear of God is in Psalm 130, verse 4, where we read this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Feared? With you there is forgiveness, we might say, that you may be loved that you may be praised, that you may be rejoiced in, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now there are, even in Scripture, proper and improper fears, and we're going to see that in our passage this morning. We actually catch a glimpse of it in verse 20, where Moses, uh, basic, uh, where, where God uh, basically says to 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 uh, Mo, or sorry <laughs> Moses I'm confusing when God is speaking and when Moses is when Moses says to the people in verse 20 do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin do not fear that the fear of him may be before you don't fear so you can fear is basically what it's saying there in verse 20. We actually, in this passage, if we look a little more closely, can see three kinds of fear. And I want to draw those out uh, for us this morning. Three kinds of fear, three types of fear in this passage. The first is what we could call a natural fear. A natural fear. And we see that in verses 18 and 19. Let's look at these verses again. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is in one sense a natural fear. The signs of God's presence are awe-inspiring. 
and in some ways meant to cause a certain kind of fear in God's people. On the mountain, there was thunder, it says here. There was lightning. There was a a huge storm going on, but this was not your ordinary storm. There was also a trumpet blast, and the mountain was smoking. Not your typical storm on the mountain. More, God speaks directly to the people. We don't read it here uh, so clearly as we do in Deuteronomy chapter 4, which is a a retelling um, of this giving of the Ten Commandments, chapter 4 into chapter 5, where we see a a second listing of the Ten Commandments. Uh, You can turn there with me in 4.10 and following, or just listen as I read Moses is speaking to the people. He says, How on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near, God says to Moses, and stood at the foot of the mountain, While the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom, then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Here we see that God is speaking directly to the people. And even in chapter 5, verse 4, uh, we read elsewhere that God spoke to Moses face to face, but the same language Uh, He is used for God speaking to the people. The Lord spoke with you, chapter 5, verse 4. The people, you plural, face to face at the mountain, uh, out of the midst of fire. God is speaking here directly to the people. And it was all inspiring. In fact, we read in scripture that God speaks loudly. When he speaks, he speaks loudly. Sometimes there's the still, small voice. But usually he speaks loudly. Psalm 29 says this, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. His voice is strong. It's powerful. As Dr. Doug Stewart puts it, the, the God's voice is the, the ear-shadowing volume of the voice of God is definitely, deafeningly loud. Deafeningly loud, he puts it. So it's understandable that the Israelites here are afraid and they tremble. 
As Phil Riken puts it, they are shaking in their sandals. We see this elsewhere in Scripture, don't we? The fear of God coming into someone's presence. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6. At Isaiah's call, God appears to Isaiah. Isaiah sees his glory. And what does he do? Oh, this is great, seeing the Lord. No, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But this is how God delivers his commandments, the Ten Commandments. As Matthew Henry puts it, the law was delivered in a dreadful manner. In other words, in his ancient language, the law was delivered in a manner that brought dread and terror. Why, he goes on to say, so that knowing his terror, they might live in his fear. Knowing his terror, they might live in his fear. Charles Spurgeon points out that these signs at Sinai also appear in biblical descriptions of final judgment. Final judgment. He wrote this, the terrible grandeur may also have been intended to suggest to the people the condemning force of the law. Not with sweet sound of harp, nor with the song of angels was the law given, but with an awful voice from amid a terrible burning. By reason of man's sinfulness, the law works wrath. And to indicate this, it was made public with accompaniments of fear and death. The battalions of omnipotence marshaled upon the scene, the dread artillery of God with awful salvos, adding emphasis to every syllable. The tremendous scene at Sinai was also, in some respects, a prophecy, if not a rehearsal, of the day of judgment. God's awesome presence is, is threatening. It is God's perfect holiness against human sinfulness. Our sinfulness in the presence of the holy judge of the universe. And there is reason to fear. Even Moses, so not, we don't see it in the Old Testament. But even Moses said, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, In Hebrews chapter 12, even Moses said, I tremble with fear. So there is this proper fear, a natural fear we see, first of all. But secondly, we see an improper fear, an improper fear. And again, we see this once again in verses 18 and 19 or at least the end of verse 18 and 19, an improper fear. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They stood far off. Now remember, the 
the Israelites were standing at the foot of the mountain. They were standing behind a barrier, a, a limit that was set for them. But now they move farther and farther away. Earlier, there was a fear back in chapter 19 that, that the Israelites would break through and come into the presence of God. And now that they actually witness God's presence on the mountain, they want no part of him now. So they move away from God, farther away, because of their fear. Again, as the writer to the Hebrews said, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and, the vo- and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. Earlier in chapter 19, at the sound of the trumpet, the people were to come to the mountain. It was an invocation, invitation to, to come. It was permission to approach. Yet now as they see God's presence and especially hear his voice, they fear. They say to Moses, you speak to us, lest we die. This is an improper fear. It's understandable, but it's an improper fear. Why? God had rescued them. God had delivered them from slavery. God had destroyed their enemies. God had led them in the wilderness to to food and to drink. And all of a sudden now God is out to get them. It's a misunderstanding. They flee from God instead of saying, staying close to God. Isn't that what we sometimes do in our lives? Fears creep in. Things aren't going our way. Sometimes maybe even the thought crosses our mind, God is out to get me. Where did God go this point in my life versus the thought that God really does want the best for me? God doesn't necessarily want the easiest for us, but God wants the best. And in particular, he wants our devotion, our, our holiness, our deeper love for him. But anyhow, the Israelites move far off. It's stated twice here. It's emphasized here. We see it in verse 18. They move far off. We see it again in verse 21 at the end. They moved far off, a good distance away. As Alec Motier puts it, they had been listening to God's voice and it had not killed them yet. But now they flee all because of their Fear. You speak to us, Moses. God's voice is too frightening. What keeps you sometimes from drawing near to the Lord? There are times when you're tempted to run from the Lord. Why are we tempted to run at times? Typically, I think it's 
because we know that we are sinners before a holy God. And so we run from God himself. But ultimately, we need to rest in God's goodness, rest in God's sovereignty, which helps us to overcome our our fears. I love the scene in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian is approaching the palace beautiful and he sees two lions and he doesn't see the chains that are holding back these lions and he's fearful and he's ready to go back, turn around and and go back, not to continue on to palace beautiful and watchful, saw and called to him And he said, is your strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and are placed there for trial of faith where it is and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path, the middle of the path, and no hurt shall come unto you. And then Bunyan goes on, then I saw... He went on trembling for fear of the lions, but taking good heed to the directions of watchful. He heard them roar, but they did him no harm. We are not to fear in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tests of faith. Why? Because God is working for our good. Third and finally, we see a godly fear. We see a godly fear. Again, verse 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. There's the godly fear. The fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Don't have an improper fear. Rather, have a godly fear of the Lord. What is this proper fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, etc., etc.? Sinclair Ferguson has a helpful definition. He defines it this way. It is the indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. An indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. And this is really perfectly fitting to this situation here. There is a mixture of of fear in God's presence, but it should be mixed with pleasure and joy. The God of the universe is entering into a relationship with them. The God who has delivered them is entering into a binding covenant with them. And they are called to have a a godly fear. A godly fear which, as Dr. Currid puts it in his commentary, restrains our sin. and includes a reverence that leads to obedience. A godly fear that leads to holiness. 
But the fear of God also includes the fear of consequences of disobeying God. That is part of godly fear. The fear of consequences of disobeying God. And indeed, there are consequences. The smoke on the mountain is a foreboding sign. It is a a sign of, of judgment. As God gives Moses the commandments, the smoke is there. It foreshadows wrath to come, as we see elsewhere in Scripture. So it's fitting for the context of the Ten Commandments. But a proper fear of God is more than just being fearful of God's wrath. It includes, as Ferguson puts it, pleasure, joy, and awe. You know, today we have lost a sense. We don't even use the expression anymore. We don't hear it much anymore. Oh, he's a God-fearing man or she's a God-fearing woman. It's outdated, it seems, today. Although that used to be fairly common in churches. I think one reason for that is in the church we have tended to create God in our own image not the God of the Bible, not the God that we see here on Mount Sinai. But I also think it is because sometimes we are not truly thankful. We are not truly amazed. We are not truly overwhelmed at God's grace for sinners. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Why? Because Christ died in our place. God became man for our salvation. God became man and perfectly kept the law because we can't keep the law of God perfectly. So we can sing with Tope Lady as we sang just a few minutes ago, or more than a few now. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Or in the Newton hymn that we're about to sing, He has hushed, that is Christ, He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. God wants us to fear. He wants us to fear. But he wants us to fear with a godly fear that does not keep away from him, but with one that longs to be in his presence. I'll end with this from John Bunyan. Elsewhere, not in Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote this. Oh, that a great God should be a good God. A good God to an unworthy, to an undeserving people. To a people that continually do what they can to provoke the eyes of his glory. This 
should make us tremble. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed are great and good. You are an awesome God. And we pray, O God, that we would fear your displeasure, that we would have a holy fear and reverence for you. O God, work that in our hearts, we pray. Help us to faithfully walk with you to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.